Hello, this is Property Matters, supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. And we're live every Sunday from 10am on YouTube, Facebook and our website, propertymatterstv.co.uk. And if you're watching on our website, we'd love you to hit the Google review button and leave us a nice short review. Please uh, get involved by adding your comments in the comments section. And if you'd like to email, the address is hello at propertymatters.co.uk. Property Matters is also available as a podcast on our website and via the biggest podcast platforms, which is available every Monday at 10 a.m. So let's take a look at this week's property news. Here's uh, Joe Joshi. Morning, Joe. Yes, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Uh, and uh, those to our listeners and as well as our viewers, a nice frosty yet uh, uh, foggy morning. Um, yeah, um, chills are definitely there, but uh, there are chills in the air, even within the property market. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, story from uh, Andrew Bailey in the news this week, Joe. Uh, Bank of England Governor, of course, Andrew Bailey, has hinted that base rates may not go higher than 4.5%, which would be good news for many uh, prospective mortgage um, uh, applicants and also those who already have a mortgage, of course, um, after the markets fell back in line with the bank's own outlook. So what he's saying is, in the wake of uh, former Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng's disastrous mini-budget, Mr Bailey said uh, that the market's priced in a UK risk premium, and that has now receded following the appointment of Jeremy Hunt as Chancellor and Rishi Sunak as Prime Minister. And he says, we don't target a particular peak, but what I will say is that back in November, and quite unusually for us, we thought the market uh, curve, and therefore the market's view of what they thought we would do, was out of line with our own thinking. The reason was, quite frankly, there was still a something of which I would call a UK risk premium in there following the events of September and October. At the time, the markets reeled off the back of Kwarteng's shock policy plans to take an axe to taxes. He says, if you go back to the height of that period, the peak of what the market thought they were going to get was over 6%. By the time we did our forecast in November, it was 5.2, and now we're saying it's going to be 4.5%. So there is a possibility here, Joe, it could fall to even lower. And we do have, of course, a meeting, don't we, uh, at the beginning of February, where they're suggesting another half percent, which would take it to 4%. So we're getting near to what they think is going to be the peak now. Yes, it's interesting he's uh, actually given some sort of a target, but uh, I have to be honest with you that I think that we're probably going to get a little bit even north of that as time goes on if things don't start to, to shape up. Um, I've always had it in my mind that the, the, the figure that the bank will probably settle at ultimately is probably about 5%, but uh, it would be fantastic news for all of us if it was lesser than 45 and even, to be honest with you, if we didn't even get the 4%, it would be fantastic because already people are paying way, way too much um, comparison to what they were used to. And it is the word used to that you have to be bearing in mind because we had pretty cheap money, um, you know, with sort of quarter percent and so forth from 2007, 2008 financial crashes to till now. And it had it not been to that wonderful uh, duo that uh, the, I wouldn't say Batman and Robin, but in this case, it's probably Batman and, um, you know, um, Batwoman or something. But anyway, <laughs> between the two of them, uh, they've done a fantastic job of, uh, of buggering things up for everybody, everyone that is even just an ordinary layman person that probably didn't even realise how much damage these people have come and done in 30 days. And the reality of it is we're now paying for it big time. And um, so with the interest rates at... 3.5 likely potentially in the next 10 days or so to go to four percent 
and as Andrew Bailey says, um, likely to go even higher. The mortgages um, that have been fixed, obviously, would be okay with that for for a while. But you know, as soon as their fixed rates are over, the new rates are going to be um, astronomical, and it's an adjustment. I think the biggest the biggest problem we've had, all of us have had, is is the double whammy out of this. I mean, if it was just the mortgage rate, I think we kind of probably had it in our minds that it will be okay to to go to a certain level because what comes down is naturally going to go up and vice versa. But the reality here is that we had the um, uh, the utilities, the you know the cost of living, all of those other bits that came char you know charging in all at the same time, has really knocked the markets for six. Um, but you know we're in property, and property is the the safest form of investment people will make. They want their own home. It's never going to change. It hasn't changed in all the time that I've been in the business, um, and it's likely not to change going forward and past beyond my time, uh, because it is the safest way that people feel that they've got their own roof over their head, and they will go to whatever levels and however tight the budget is going to be to try and make sure that they can ultimately own their own property. Must be the first time in history, Joe, that the uh, Chancellor has been uh, of the of the Bank of England, rather the Governor of Bank of England, is actually more uh, optimistic than Joe Joshi is. That's uh, that's a first. He did say that uh, the market expectations are no longer out of line, but he did refuse to endorse a base rate peaking at four and a half percent. But hinted that the Monetary Policy Committee no longer felt uh, expectations were out of line. Inflation figures published earlier this last week showed that prices slowed in December bringing consumer price inflation down for the second month to 10.5%. He called it, get this, the beginning of a sign that the corner has been turned. So he disagrees with you, Joe. Well, you know, some of it he's got to play to the to the market. He's got to be cautious. He's got to work in hand in hand with the, the, the government institute and, of course, keep the people right. I'm just saying that, in my opinion, and there he has hinted, you just stated that, that you know it could be higher than 4.5 percent. Mm. Um, so you know it's it's all hidden in the small print of the words and how he wants to say. It. But I'm just saying it as it is, and that is that I think that you know we're going to get a bit higher than what we think we're going to get, um, and not be too surprised about it. Um, and I think we as a, we would have just lived through majority of that. Most people would have lived through majority of that had it not been for the double whammy. It's the double whammy that we've actually not allowed for, didn't actually um, see it coming to some extent. And of course, they are going to blame that on the, the war on Ukraine and all the other bits and pieces. But you know, what really annoys me about these situations is that why is it that somebody else is pulling our strings? Why is it Putin? Is pulling our strings. We came out of the EU not to, not to have our strings pulled, and yet we've got another chap, you know, somewhere else who's now pulling your strings uh, about um, you know gas and and oil and all sorts of other scenarios. Um, and yet, you know, here we are, part of the massive Commonwealth, and we could have done lots of other things, but we haven't done so. So successive governments, I'm not saying who, where, and when, but all of them are at fault at not actually making sure that we were completely self-sufficient and not having to rely on these other um, countries waiting for them to turn around and say, well, actually, you know, now your gas prices are going up, your oil prices are going up, and we're determined by them when we actually have things like offshore, um, you know, wind turbines, and we have the North Sea oil, we have all of those other things that we could have probably had enough surplus for us not to be able to have to be reliant on these people. Now, 
you know, somebody probably think, oh, well, he's talking out of his rear over this, but it's just the basics, isn't it? The basics are about your house in order. And if you haven't got your house in order, it's not going to happen. So I think Andrew Bailey is just being cautious um, in his words. But the reality of it is, I think that um, we may be surprised. Um, now, if the um, gas prices and all these other prices starts to come down, which again, I'm not going to, you're going to say you're not optimistic. I'm not. They are. They're not going to come down. You know, it's it's. You know, they've been waiting to go up for hundreds of years almost, and they're not going to be coming down. So again, it's something that we're just going to have to accept and try and work out you know, going forward. Well, again, he's out to kilter with the Joshi for, uh, philosophy because he says um, that basically um, he expects inflation to fall quite rapidly from late spring, and this has a lot to do with energy pricing. He says that. Uh, um, the, we've been locked in a level of energy pricing that's unsustainable over the winter, but in the last couple of months, electricity and gas prices have started to come off quite a lot since the beginning of winter. This isn't feeding through because of the way in which particular domestic prices are calculated, but it will do, and that's encouraging. And it's interesting, isn't it, that the government have said that the subsidy they're giving to all the households in the UK uh, will no longer go from late spring, pretty much, isn't it? So they're suggesting that it will come down quite quickly from the spring. But if it's just the subsidy that is the reduction, you're still paying the same amount as you would be with the reduction, aren't you? Yes, and I mean, okay, the subsidies might come down on one side, Paul, but there is a, a barrage of people standing outside, freezing their, um, you know, bits off at this moment in time, uh, striking. Um, and so someone's got to pay for that somewhere along the line, haven't they? You know, you've got your doctors, your nurses, your, your ambulance drivers, you know, your train strikers. I mean, anyone that is out there with a pair of legs is striking at this precise moment in time. So, you know, they might turn around today and say to you that the inflation is going to go down because of the subsidies coming away and the, you know, the gas and electric prices. But then they're going to go back up because someone somewhere has got to pay for these other people that are standing outside striking and creating problems for the other industries. So I just I just don't see. Uh, I mean, I'd love to be as optimistic as the governor of Bank of England and, and all these people. But right now, I, I, I first half of this year. Um, uh, is going to be a bit of a bath, a bloodbath in terms of, you know, cost of living, inflation and where we are. However, I'm in property and we are. We discuss property. Property program is what it's about. And all I'm going to say is that, as we said in the previous program, in the last, was it, 40 years, five times, or was it three times that the prices have gone backwards. So all I'm going to say is that, you know, forget about the government, forget about uh, gas and electric, invest in property because you know look at the percentage <laughs> three or four times it went backwards or stopped in reverse and out of 40 years you know we don't have that sort of um, uh, uncertainty when we're, we're stable in property and I think that's that's the key message that I would give is that you can't go wrong you still got to invest in, in your home and in your property mm. he does say uh, it means there's more optimism now that we're going to sort of get through the next year with an easier path. That's exactly what he said, which not words you'd normally associate with uh, the governor of the Bank of England. I mean, uh, for those watching and uh, listening, I wonder what their views are. What do you think the rate's going to um, uh, peak at? Pop it in the chat below and uh, let's see if, uh, if we all agree. But uh, Joe thinks it's going to go higher, maybe even 5%. The Bank of England, well, he's re he's refusing to rule out a peak at four and a half, but 
His language is much more positive than I would have expected. So interesting to see what people think. Um, we're going to move on here. because It's, it's a, a variation on a theme here, Joe, because um, this is a piece by Patrick Bamford, who's the head of international business development at Qualys Credit Risk. And he's basically saying that um, you know, this speculation that with falling house prices, that's going to be a good idea or rather good news for first-time buyers. But he's saying, well, hang on a minute. The point of the matter is that the mortgage rates are so much higher now that actually, even though the falling prices um, are, are, are the prices are coming down, because the mortgages are so much more expensive, it's even harder to get on the ladder as a first-time buyer. And he's he's got a point, hasn't he? Yeah, look, all of those challenges for the first-time buyers are really high and, and, and tough. And, and the only way that is going to happen at this precise moment in time is if a the government can continue to uh, extend the help to buy scheme, uh, which is still encouraging. It helped the market a lot. It comes to an end, I think, pretty shortly, or if it's not already come to an end. Um, and so that is something that would help first-time buyers. It would certainly help the housing market, um, and of course, it will um, encourage them with with the right rates and, and so forth, and fixing rates. I mean. You know that's that's what you've got to really look at um, overall about what um, what is available to the first time. Without the first time buyers, Paul, the problem is the system in the country doesn't actually tick off. Um, it changed some I don't know thirty odd years ago a little bit because the investors came into the buy to let scheme. Prior prior to that, and those that are listening, someone like Guy will probably remember that people will used to buy. Uh, a second home and, and another member of the family and then another one and another one and another one. You couldn't actually, you know, go and buy two, three, four, five, ten, fifteen properties in your own name or in a limited company at the time. They had to be bought in other people because that was the only mortgage available was just your first time buyers. And the buy to let market came in. And when the buy to let market came in, it actually put all of these people um, in and um, started to say to them that, um, you know, you've got a chance to now um, by a, a portfolio of properties which you can rent out, and because of that, it um, it, it, it pushed it pushed the first time buyers out a little bit, um, and uh, didn't give them the choice. They were they weren't the only people that to let people came in as well, and that's that was the, the the change, and that still exists at this moment in time. You were talking about the. Um the help to buy scheme, which does come to an end this year, but there is other schemes coming out. And one of them is called Deposit Unlock. And I was just looking it up. It's um, it's the opportunity for a first time buyer or an existing homeowner to, who could buy selected new homes with just a 5% deposit, if only I could say it. The scheme is devised in collaboration with lenders and the house building industry. It enables first-time buyers and existing homeowners to buy with a 5% deposit. It provides customers with competitively priced mortgage products up to 750000 <clears throat> and makes buying a new home more affordable. The scheme is exclusively available to new builds um, and it, so this is off of uh, Barrett's website um, and you can apply for a deposit unlock. So it looks like the industry is coming up with its own ideas rather than necessarily a government scheme, but uh, essentially it's a way to buy a property for 95% mortgage. Yeah, I mean, it, there used to be a time when um, gifted deposits used to be a thing. So developers, it's the same thing of deposit unlock, gifted deposit, so forth. It's one of the same thing, different words really, but fundamentally a developer would turn around and say to them that, you know, if you buy this at £100,000, what we'll do is we'll give you 
So they'll gift you 5% back. It's like a cash back. Um, so this person will go out and get a mortgage of the 95% and on completion, the um, developer would give them the 5% back as a cash back towards the deposit um, of that. All of those schemes, look, they get creative when they want to shift the market going forward and that's what's going to happen now. But if we're going to sustain the market and we're going to get out there and start to sell to the first time buyers and get all of those things moving, then quite honestly, they're going to have to get creative. They're going to have to come back with like a help to buy or a gifted deposit or a developer's deposit or whatever they want to uh, call it um, as, as, it, as it goes. But unless that happens, and also the lenders have got to come back to the table and look at 5%. There was a time when we had 100% mortgages, um, and it may be that we got to go back to 100% mortgage in some areas, some, some you know, first-time buyer operatives where they turn around and say, look at that. And the help-to-buy scheme, you know, Paul, the help-to-buy scheme is not as... You know, as, as simple as it is, actually, the buyer still has to pay 5%. In the help to buy scheme, the developer, you know, shares 10% and the government shares. So theoretically, they, they calculate 25% as a deposit. And then you can go and borrow 75% of that value. Um, and, and so, you know, but later on, within the five years, 10 years, or whatever it is you decide that you're going to sell up, you're going to have to pay back that share um, plus, you know, whatever uh, growth in the capital that would be in order for you to get on, on the ladder. So sometimes it pays to have, have a help to buy type of operation because at least it gets you on the first run of the property ladder. And so, other, other times, if you bought in an area, there's amazing growth, then everybody wins, don't they? Because, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the developer is going to get his cash back and he's going to get a profit on the uplift of the capital return. And that's a good point, actually, isn't it? Because it's uh, it's all very well looking at the entry requirements of something like help to buy, but actually you need to also look at the exit requirements because that may actually not work out very well for you. The intermediary, the intermediary mortgage lenders association, which is not a particularly catchy name, points out in their new normal report that the very low interest rates available over the past few years have more than outweighed house price increases, meaning buyers have still been able to afford the larger mortgage required to purchase them. So what's interesting is that what they're saying, what he's saying is that when mortgage rates are really low, to some extent, it doesn't matter how much the price increases because even at 10% a year, you'll still be able to afford it because you've got the, the, the flexibility to do it. But when mortgage rates are high, obviously those increases become even more expensive. And so therefore it actually, to, to try and keep up with the market is much harder when rates are higher. That's right. I mean, at the end of the day, when you look at look at these, these mortgage rates um, that have been brought down and then you have the stamp duty holidays and you have the help to buy, all of these schemes have actually turned around and given people an incentive to get out there and go on. They know, the government knows, the lenders know that they need those people to come in and um, buy because that's how the lender's going to make their money and that's how the government's going to move their property um, structure and know that other businesses that are related to the property market will actually do well when property does well. Uh, we know that. We know that from the time that if you look back at the pandemic just you know a couple of years ago, the only market that was doing well was the property market and primarily because all the offshoots of the property market was keeping the country afloat to a large extent. The builders, the DIY stores, all those things because when people are at home 
and they could wear their masks and wander around the shops or just keep their distance and go in the queues. When you look back at all of those shenanigans that we went through in order to, but the property market per se was the only one that, you know, had that continuation. And the reason for it was that they wanted to continue to keep building their way out. That's what they did. They built themselves out and kept one aspect of the industry going and they went, kept that going by keeping all the other aspects of that industry. You know, your painters, your decorators, your carpet layers, all those people that are related to the housing market started to, to continue to make things happen. So when, you know, these, these analyses are done, they are done on the basis. But if you actually listen to what he's saying, in my mind, it's, it's kind of obvious yes when interest rates were low the houses were going up the house prices went up now the interest rates are, are high they're going to slow down it's it's not rocket science by by anyone's comparison um and um, but i i i still think that obviously you know um people will you'll never take people away from wanting to invest in property or buying their home no, he also makes another very interesting point. He says, because, uh, and we've talked about the affordability for landlords and that loads of them are tucking the towel in uh, this, this coming year. And he's saying many experts are suggesting that buy-to-let landlords, particularly those with only one or two properties, will find the ability to maintain their properties severely pressured in 2023 and that many may choose to sell, increasing the supply of properties for potential homeowners. But, he says, do first-time buyers want to buy ex-private rental stock. And if supply is taken out of the PRS, this is only likely to see rents rise further as tenant demand remains, remains very strong. This could mean potential buyers see more of the income go towards rent, when at the same time, they're still trying to meet the substantial deposit levels required to get on the ladder. It's interesting, isn't it, that we see a lot of new um, first-time buyers looking to the new build market because it comes with so many other additional benefits. And it's maintenance free. Well, yes, the new market for the new millennials, as we would call them, is far more attractive because they don't particularly want to other than the four walls to a large extent where they can paint and decorate. But there comes a time with everybody. And, and I can actually speak from experience on this, that that then becomes no more acceptable. And then the older properties that this chap is saying that, you know, people are going to be surplus to are the ones that come into play. And the reason why they come into play for is that they offer flexibility. They offer often things like gardens, which probably you're not going to get with a new property. And if you have a young family, you want, even if it's only a postage size stamp garden for your little ones to wander around outside or sit with a, with a deck deck chair and, and put your suntan lotion on when the rare sun comes out but the fact is that those things are still there with older properties be it a masonette be it sometimes a flat and sometimes or more often every house at some stage is going to get some sort of guy and so yes there is a huge demand at the younger age that only wants to be practical i want to go in and i want the buzzer and i want all those things that i can get do this and do that but when it comes to moving to their next part of their life, be it that they may be going to settle down or they have a partner and they have children, then they go to what is called the older style properties, partly because of the uh, the space they offer, partly because they're more solid and partly because they offer scope where possible to extent, potentially even even if, into, if it's into the loft for argument's sake, which the new properties are already maxed out. So if you've ever been on a modern estate, a modern development, you will find that you've got about a meter or just under a meter between you and your neighbor. 
um, and you've got a postage stamp garden at the back, and you can't, and then there's another one back in on that. So if you put a conservatory on it, you've lost your garden to a large extent uh, because there isn't any other space. And so it's those things that make the older properties attractive. When it comes to renting the older properties, then that's down to the landlords now having to bring them up to a, a certain standard to make sure that they can actually get the better rent for them. Otherwise, they will definitely lose out to um, new modern properties where people are just, you know, want, want easy life, trouble free. And of course, uh, we are the United Kingdom. Um, we are an island. We do not have space to grow outward as much as we'd like. Though we have it, we can't because there's all sorts of constraints and, and restrictions. So they're either going to go up or they're going to go down. Um, and the reality is that there are lots and lots of towers that are being built. And sometimes those towers are not, you know, community friendly, to be perfectly honest with you, Paul. You know, they become ghettos if people don't maintain them well. Um, and then people want to get out of those to guess what? An older property, so they only got one neighbour. You know, so there's a whole bunch of things that actually come to that that point. Um, and, and so he's not taking that on board, really. It's, he makes another interesting point, actually. We're currently in the middle of a stamp duty holiday, and he said that the IMLA also point out that despite the raise in interest rates, mortgage affordability is likely to be back at level C in 2005-06, and buyers will not face higher mortgage repayments, but uh, and the burden will be um, compared to the historical average. So what he's saying is that eventually the market will have to find an affordability level. So even with higher interest rates, they're going to have to do something about the multiples or, or, or extend the term so that we get to a point where the mortgage payment is comfortable and affordable. So he says the actual challenge is how to get the deposit because the affordability will sort itself out as the rate settles. But with the help to buy looking to go, and he said that that uh, deposit unlock scheme has been particularly popular, um, they're hoping that other schemes like that, and maybe even a reprieve late in the day for the help to buy, will mean that people get the chance to get that deposit saved, particularly if they don't have access to the bank of mum and dad, which of course not everybody has. No, and, and access to bank of mum and dad is, is, you know, really should be um, uh, available uh, to, to across board. In fact, I've, I've recently had a conversation uh, with, with a, um, a family who, for example, didn't even have the kids to go to, but were quite happy to refinance their property um, and provide a deposit for, uh, for people um, on the basis that they will be part of that structure. So let's say, you know, um, your son decides to buy a property, but you don't have the deposit, but somebody down the road says, well, they'll lend you that deposit. But what they're gonna do is they become part of the, they take a second charge or a security on that. And so they wanna be part of the growth of that property. So it's another way of an investment, a creative way of investment, but at the same time, a help that's come through. And it's quite interesting that somebody you know, he's sitting at home thinking, well, how else can I make money? And then mm. well, I've now come to a point where I'm not going to do anything. So let's say if I go and refinance this by 100 grand and, and gave £10,000 to 10 more people who are able to put this down as a deposit and I then become part of 10 more properties. Um, and, and, you know, when they sell, a bit like the help to buy scheme, when they sell, whatever happens, you know, my family or my futures will end up benefiting from some interest that they may have earned 
and some capital growth depending on the value of the property. Quite interesting, really. But there are, I mean, what I'm saying is there are people out there now, you know, come up with more and more creative ideas of how this can, can continue to do. Now, they wouldn't do that, would they, if they didn't see a end goal and end result. And we know the end goal and end result. If you look back at the house price increases just in the last couple of years, last year alone was nearly 20%. Um, so, you know, there is, a, there is a temptation for people to think, well, you know, I could be part of a scheme that uh, could, you know, go offer growth in the future, but at the same time, offer youngsters a first um, step on the run of the ladder. He's saying that it's very important that we have a high loan-to-value mortgage market, a thriving high loan-to-value LTV market. So um, he says that the numbers are improving in terms of products that are available for 95% or thereabouts. Um, but he says that they're not anywhere back to the pre-September level. And of course, prices are much higher than back then. But he's saying that it looks like the market is going to fall back this year because uh, there won't be as much lending as, uh, as there was previously for, for various reasons, obviously, we've highlighted. But it, to the extent of how much it falls back will be a reflection on how creative and how imaginative and how brave the lending market's been. Yeah, I mean, again, he's just going about in another way. But I've said that we need more products back up there at 95% or above in order for people to be motivated. Um, their, their cost of living and of course their affordabilities will come into account. Um, but it means that they might have to move further out in order to get that first chance. And when you go a bit further out, I mean, from the south going towards north or uh, east or west, there are lots and lots of opportunities, lots of scopes for people to step onto the first round of the property ladder. And I think that is very, very key in, in um, how they are mortgaged and so forth. So yes, I mean, lenders will, and I think they will. Once once we've got this settlement from four and a half or 5% or 4%, whatever that Bank of England rate is gonna be, we will start to see a steadiness um, of the market because at this moment in time, the bit that throws everybody out is that, you know, for example, the mortgage offers are only, you know, offered for about 15 days or 16 days because even the lenders are not sure how quick the mortgage rate's going to change. So, you know, that was originally three months. You could have turned around and say, for the next three months, here's your mortgage offer, you've got an offer, and you can go and trade that in for a property within the next three months. Well, that's down to 15 days, and it's an, almost an impossible task in 15 days. Mm. And the reason for that is because the, the the uncertainty that we have in the mortgage market, in the, in the, in the, in the Bank of England's rate, we're not known. So in the next 10 days, give or take, we will know if it's going to be 4%. But then, you know, people still sit on their hands and think, well, you know, he did say four and a half percent. So when's that going to happen? You know, and he did hint it might be more than four and a half percent. So when's that going to happen? So until such time as we find stability in that, that is always going to be a bit volatile. Indeed. Let's take a look at um, our final story this week, which is a really interesting one and one that hadn't really dawned on me until I saw this report. We're talking about uh, landlords over the last few months, um, really finding it to be challenging in the marketplace. But there might be a niche area where they could flourish. And it's this, basically, landlords need to adopt properties as the number of older, adapt properties rather, as the number of older tenants rise. 
So basically, the long-term tenants over 65, that number is surging. Half of the landlords say they are prepared to make changes to their property to accommodate the needs of older tenants, but this may come with a price tag at a time of rising costs in the sector. So this is analysis by Paragon Bank based on government data. It's revealed that the number of households in the private rented sector aged between 45 and 64 increased by 70% over the past 10 years, with those aged 65 and over increasing by 38%. So basically, I suppose this is due to the fact that people have spent pensions, people have uh, spent those uh, endowment policies and not paid off their mortgage. They've had to um, sell the property um, to, um, to to pay off the debt, I guess, and now they're in the rented sector, something of that nature. Yes, I mean, it's, it's probably a, a little bit of an under-the-radar sector that's been going on in the background, and I'm not um, at least uh, uh, surprised at all um as to where where that is and because it's a steady market it's not a moving market in the sense that you know first-time buyers or youngsters are moving with jobs and all sorts of other things that create that there is a steady uh, market where people have actually ended up taking a long-term rental on a property due to a number of reasons paul um and, and some of them are the ones that you just highlighted and some are probably just their own personal health circumstances, situations that have meant that they've had to come out of bigger houses and not be able to, you know, and then not be at an age or time where they want to get involved in a new house. So they've either shared some of that money with their family, helped the kids or the grandchildren, and then decided that, you know, it's better for them to rent. They, they There's a whole bunch of schemes out there where, where people have now been, you know, taking monies out of their properties um uh, in terms of um uh, you know long-term rental and and that's that's when they turn around and say well actually a lender will come along and say you know we'll give you a, a, a thing called equity release actually that was the word i was looking for equity release yeah. um they've taken those out which they've used enjoyed and know full well that so when they've taken that equity release theoretically they become a tenant of their own property and it's a long-term thing so there is a hidden um market that's been going on in the background through things like equity release through things like people selling their bigger properties and coming and downsizing and for certain landlords they've had stability and continuity if they've turned around and adopted or adapted as you would say um the properties for their liking being being perhaps from disability being from old age, from all of those things that, that, that are there. So there is a huge growing market. Now that wasn't there, you know, certainly in my younger days, that wasn't there because nobody ever wanted to leave the house that they actually bought, paid for and cleared. But there were things like the endowments, which people cashed in, which didn't do very well. There were situations where people had interest only mortgages and there wasn't enough equity in the property that could allow them to sell it pay off the mortgage and have enough perhaps to go and buy something else. So they then ended up to go and, buy, go and rent for long term and use the, the balance of the equity as a payment towards their rental life. So there's a the whole um, different area that, that existed. But you're absolutely right. There is a market there and there is a, a steady market and a good market because you know that the, at a certain age, you know, not necessarily at 35, but certainly 50, 55, 60 upwards, there is a steadiness there, isn't it? They, 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 they're not interested in shuffling around. Also, it makes it twice as harder even to get a mortgage at those levels. 
primarily because of age against the time and perhaps your income is not there at that time in order to justify the way they would work out those. So there is a, a huge growing market for the oldie goldies, as you, as you might want to say. Um, um, and, um, and so, and, but they're good, good tenants to a large extent because, you know, they, they're not shifting in a hurry. The report highlights, um, I, in fact, uh, it's got a, a very specific name. I think it's the middle-aged tenant. Um, I've lost this. Oh, there we are. The, the report is is, is um, very politically correct called the middle-aged tenant surge, <laughs> which I thought was amusing. Um, I just called it the oldie goldies. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit more realistic. Uh, the research showed that 21% would invest up to £1,000 in their property. 5% would go as far as £5,000. But he's saying there's now uh, some distinct tenant groups. There's uh, obviously students who are going to be a renting or a tenant uh, group, young couples, and then, of course, this surging group of older tenants who, and, and each of those groups have their own specific requirements. And the over 65 specifically, as that's what we're talking about here, more likely to live alone and in smaller homes, for example, and the sector will need to adapt to evolve to cater for these people. And the advantage are, of course, is that they tend to prefer longer tenancies. They're more respectful of the neighbours and the community. And of course, they're reliable payers. Yes, and of course, you know, for many years, people like McCarthy Stone um, and other operators like that have been offering facilities just like that for the over 55s and the over 60s, knowing full well that that's what, what they're going to get. Either they get a portion of it, a bit like a, a share of the equity, or they turn around and, and buy at a lower price because obviously they're subsidised by the government to, to house older people into these properties on the basis that they they are releasing old stock that you know perhaps a one person has been sitting in a five bedroom house which may potentially offer the land and the space to convert into 20 houses for either 20 flats you know so they want to you know, they want to encourage them obviously to do that also some of those um, schemes like the people like McCarthy and Stone um, they they will turn around and offer um, help so they have somebody on site for the elderly um, where, you know, assistance can be given, uh, someone that's got a call out. So there's a whole um, uh, market there that's been going for some time. But it's interesting that it's, it's now becoming a little bit more of a highlight. But there are lots and lots of schemes for anyone that's listening out there, lots of schemes with people like some people like Mark Hardin, so other developers like so, who offer you uh, specific and, and, and you actually can be buying them a lot cheaper than normally because they are uh, governed by the age factor um, that you can do. And so, you know, I mean, um, October this year, I, I, I qualified for my, no, I haven't got my bus pass yet, but I've got my, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I get saga and all the other bits and pieces. So, you know, you, you've got to, you know, you've got to, you've got to utilize the, the discounts for the oldie goldie sector so i've fallen into that sector now um and uh, so i could probably go and buy myself a, a cheap flat to go and live in um in, in my passing days which will probably be still in an area for example i mean I, I looked at one only this week for a client which is in just on the outskirts of surrey a very nice one bedroom ground floor flat which is part of a um, scheme as such only can be sold to people over the age of 60 
um, but uh, you know it's a one-bedroom property and it gives somebody a base to work on but uh, shockingly um, you know probably going to be somewhere between 100 and 150,000 pounds and that's pretty good isn't it when you think but you can't even get a studio place uh, under normal circumstances so sometimes it doesn't it's not bad to be old it can <laughs> to me, it seems like a really interesting business model for, for a prospective landlord in terms of going into a sector, because at the end of the day, you know, very often you inherit uh, a property that was maybe that of a parent, and that may well have already been adapted and have all the wider corridors and all that kind of thing in, in it for, for, for that very use. So you often find yourself inheriting that kind of property in, in, in real life uh, as a starting point, let's just say. And then there are a lot of those sort of properties that come into probate sales, of course, um, which, which which may even be in an auction, in which case you might get a, a good valuable price. You've then got, of course, a reliable tenant base. You're not going to have the churn and therefore the voids. It does seem like a, a, a very sensible um, area of the uh, tenant market to go in if you're going to be a landlord. Yeah, and, and there are schemes. I think Guy Charison runs um, an operative scenario about the properties that you can buy that are freehold with tenant life tenancy i think they're called life tenancy actually um and and basically they, those are bought for the fraction but obviously with longevity because if somebody is elderly that's in those properties for another 15 20 years but you've only paid you know uh, i don't know 150,000 pounds for a, a bungalow in you know um south end on sea or something like that where somebody elderly has been there for some time then you know yes if you're the if you're a younger person and you invest in that in the next 20 years 30 years obviously you know life expectancy says to you that that person is probably not going to last much more than 100 years or maybe a bit more there are very few i mean you know we can count probably on our hands of late how many over 100 100 have actually are surviving but a good percentage of them are not going to be there so that's your 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 uh, gamble if you like you know, that's the challenge that do I buy a property that's got a life tenancy and somebody in there is maybe at 75, 85, 95. And how long am I going to be investing before that property? Then I can be sold on the, on the market and I can make money. So there's loads of schemes like that, Paul, out there. It's just they're not been highlighted. And I think now people are realizing that even through the current crisis that we've had, and um, that people are borrowing uh, and the, 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 the cost of living has gone up. It's sometimes people sort of say, okay, I'm going to sell up, get out and go and get myself a small place um, where I can, you know, just enjoy. I don't want to have the hassle of this all the time. This, this, this uncertainty about bills and so forth I can have to And some of them are all incorporated, you know, so it's, it's, a, it's a one payment. And, um, and, and so all your electric, your gas, whatever, is all part of the whole structure. So they're worth looking at. There's, there's no doubt about it. And I think there is definitely... Um, uh, room for a market there. Yeah, interesting uh, story. I found that one particularly. I think um, food for thought for landlords looking to uh, find their niche in 2023. And on that bombshell, Joe, that's uh, all we've got time for this week. Uh, another 45 minutes has gone past on Property Matters. We'll see you again same time next week. <music>